This dynamic message is brought to you by Redemption in Jesus with Marco Bravo. Let me show you the title of our series and our message for today. And so we are continuing with our new life and identity in Jesus. And this is part two. Now, last week, in part one then, I shared with you why we need new life and new identity in Jesus. That's in essence what we looked at last week. And so today, what I would like to do is I would like to share with you what new life in Jesus is. So what we're going to do is we're going to take life now and look at that. And then next time we're going to take identity and take a look at that. Now both of those could be extensive, but we're going to try and just narrow them down to individual messages <clears throat> so that we have the basis of our new identity and new life in Jesus. And then we looked at we look at new life and then we look at new identity. Now you may be familiar with these things, but it's always good to be refreshed. But I believe that you're going to see things today that are going to bless you and minister to you today. If I were to ask you the question, how would you explain what new life in Jesus is? You know, if someone came to you, let's just say that a new believer, someone who recently salva uh, received salvation in Jesus, if they came to you and they said to you, um, what is new life in Jesus? Can you explain it to me? Can you help me understand it? What would you say? I'll give you a moment to think about it and ponder on it. How would you explain what new life in Jesus is? Well, let me tell you what, how I define it. And then we're going to, and I'm going to show you then from the word today. And I'm sure there's different ways we can put it. But here's how I would say. This is what my answer would be if someone were to say to me, how, what is new life in Jesus? What I would say is this, it is the life we were intended to live before the fall, without sin, <clears throat> an imperfect relationship with God. Would you agree? That's in essence how you can summarize it. Of course, there's a lot more to it than that, but that's how we can summarize it, to say that it's the life that God intended for us to have before Adam and Eve messed it up, before they disobeyed God before they sinned and sin came into the world into existence and so before that they had a perfect relationship with God and they themselves were in a state of continuous fellowship and eternal uh, life with God amen well in essence that's what new life in Jesus is but let's have a look at some scripture and I'm going to show you some dynamics of that life and what it looks like, what it means. You know, so fine, we can define and say, okay, that's the life that God intended for us to have. So are you saying that we have that now? The answer is yes. We may be in this imperfect body, but this is why we are going to leave it eventually and we will enter into the fullness of that new life. But in essence, we can actually enjoy that now while we still live in this body. And so Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, let's have a look at it from the King James translation. We touched on this last week. <clears throat> it says, Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so 
we also should walk. Notice, should. It doesn't mean you will. We need to intentionally do this. We also should walk in newness of life. So right there we see that when we receive salvation in Jesus, we receive, as we discussed last week, we receive two things. We receive new life and we receive new identity. Amen. And so I like the way the Thayer's um, um, resource explains that newness of life. It says you can also translate it as, or you can refer to it as, a new state of life. So we can say it this way, so that we should also walk in a new state of life. In other words, it's different to how it was when we were in fallen Adam. And we explained that last week. Let's have a look at that same verse from the Living Bible. Watch how it puts it. It helps us understand it a little bit clearer. It says, Your old sin-loving nature was buried with him by baptism when he died. So when we get baptized, we are basically testifying to the fact that when Jesus died and was buried, who we were in Adam was also buried and died. Then it says, And when God the Father, with glorious power, brought him back to life again, watch this, you were given, won't you say given? So it's a gift. You were given his wonderful new life to enjoy. And what kind of life did Jesus have? He had, of course, eternal life, and he had a life without sin. He had a life of total relationship, complete and perfect relationship with God. And so that's what you and I are given. So by putting our faith and trust in what God has done for us in and through Jesus, and we believe that when he died, he died not only for us, but as us. And so who we were in Adam died. He was buried. It was buried. And then when Jesus rose, we were rose to new life. And when we receive salvation in Jesus, this is why we must be born again. We receive this new life. In other words, we enter this new state of life where we once more have uninterrupted relationship, fellowship with God. <clears throat> Amen. So, we see that clearly right there, that when we receive salvation, we also receive new life. Amen. Our fallen life in Adam comes to an end. It is done. When Jesus said it is finished and he gave up his life, basically the life that we had in fallen Adam was put to an end. Now, it becomes our reality when we receive salvation in Jesus. So when you do that, when you receive salvation in Jesus, who you were in Adam, that identity is gone. You have a new identity, but also that life is gone. You have new life. Amen. So at the cross, as I said earlier, but I want to hyphenate this point because it's an important foundation for where I'm taking you here to talk about new life. At the cross, Jesus died for us, but also he died as us. What do I mean by that? So not only did he die with our sin, the totality of our personal sin, not only did he die with our sin, that's for us, but he also died as us. He died for who we were in Adam, that fallen identity. So he died for us and he died as us. So he carried the weight of our sin and took on the full 
punishment, the full retribution of it, and he died with it and for it. But also, he died with our old identity in Adam. He took that also upon himself, and it was brought to death. Praise God for that. Amen. So, you could easily say it this way. When Jesus died on the cross, it is equivalent. It is equal, and I'm going to prove it to you in a moment. It is equal to you being on that cross, dying with for your sin, but also dying with your sin. In other words, dying as you were in fallen Adam, completely and totally, with all the sinfulness of it. Amen. That's in essence what I'm saying here. So let's have a look at some scripture here. What he actually did is he took the totality of our fallen sinful nature, which we inherited from Adam, and, and got rid of it completely at the cross. Let's take a look at it. Let me show you some scripture that backs all that up and shows us all that, okay? So let's begin with Psalm 51 verse 5. Prophetically, the psalmist is speaking about that. Watch what he says. I was brought forth in a state of wickedness. See that? There he acknowledges that because of the fall, we're all in a state of sin, wickedness. Then he says, in sin, my mother conceived me. Now, he doesn't mean that his mother was not married and was shaking up with someone and, you know, out of wedlock. No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is that they were sinful because they were descendants of fallen Adam. And because of that, whoever they conceived would also be sinful because that's the only nature we could produce in fallen Adam. And so he says, in, in sin, my mother conceived me. Watch us. And from my beginning, I too was sinful. And so, notice there, you see the very specifics of humanity. First of all, we're all in a state of sin. Wickedness, he calls it here, this translation. We're all in a sinful state because we are descendants of fallen Adam. Secondly, if we have children, we're still in that fallen state. Therefore, our children are conceived in that fallen state. And therefore, they are born into that sinful state. So what that shows us and what that tells us is, is that we don't become sinners, not that we are anymore, but before salvation, we are. And the reason why we are is because we inherited that from fallen Adam. And that's why Jesus took care of that on the cross. So that proves to us that all of humanity is born in a state of sin. So that life, this is why we need a new state of life. We need it new life in Jesus, which we do receive. Now, as a side note, someone may say, well, what about children then? Because David said, yeah, the minute he was conceived, that when he was born, he was born in, as, a, as, a, as a sinner, essentially, into a sinful state. Yes, that's true. But children, remember, people don't go to hell because of sin. People go to hell because they reject salvation in Jesus. Children, babies, infants, until the age of understanding, where they for themselves can make the choice to reject salvation in Jesus or accept Him, there's grace and mercy for that. It's impossible for God to send them to hell because of sin. Because people don't go to hell for sin. They go to hell because they reject salvation in Jesus. And children can't do that. So, you know, God takes care of that. And there's enough scripture for that. Well, I've taught on it before, and I'll teach on it again sometime. And so, so we see there. That we are all in that state. And then Romans 3 verse 23 confirms that. Watch what it says here. It says for everyone. Does that include you? Does that include everyone you know? 
It includes everyone on the earth, every, every human being that has existed, that exists now, that will exist. It says, for everyone has sinned. That's the reason why, because we are born into a sinful state. We are born in a sinful state, a sinful nature. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. So again, that confirms to us, we're all in the same pickle. So Romans 3 verse 10, watch what it says there. It says, as it is written from the Old Testament, and forever remains written, watch this, there is none. So there's no exclusion here. There's no, no, everyone. There is none righteous, none that meets God's standard, not even one. And of course, that's excluding Jesus. So as far as the rest of us who are natural descendants of Adam, we're all in a fallen, sinful state. And so this is why Jesus had to die on the cross. Amen. Let's have a look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, the first part of that verse. Watch this. It says, talking about Jesus on the cross, He personally, watch this, carried our sins. In actual fact, that word in the original is sin, which is a noun, talking about the totality of our sin, not just specific sins. So He personally carried our sin in His body on the cross. You see that? He took on so that he died for you. That's what it tells you. And then it says, so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. So right there you see that Jesus died for us. Right? Then if we go over to Romans chapter 6 and verse 6. Watch us now. It says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. That's talking about our identity specifically. That the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So in those two portions, what we've seen is, is that Jesus died for us and Jesus died as us. He carried our sin. That means that he died for us with our sin. And then it says our old man was crucified. That means that he died as us. So you can see all of that backs it up. And the reason for that is so that we can receive new identity, and new life in Jesus. Amen. So having done this for us then, and as us, Jesus then gives us that new life and that new identity. When we receive salvation in Jesus, it becomes reality to us. We receive it and we take it. Amen. That's why in John 3 verse 36, watch what it says. Yeah, talking about that new life. And watch how that new life is described. Yeah. It says, he who believes, in other words, he who receives salvation in Jesus, in the Son, watch us, has, notice, has, it's a present day reality. It's not a something way out in the future or in eternity. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. This is another way, another name, if you will, another way to describe the new life we receive in Jesus. Has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. See, someone who rejects salvation in Jesus doesn't have this new life, obviously. And then also we see that in John 6, 47, which is not on the screen, uh, it says the same thing, that we have everlasting life. So the new life we receive in Jesus here is called everlasting life. Amen. And of course, as I pointed out to you, it says we have it 
now. So you're currently in possession of that life because that's the new life that He gives to you and I. He gives us everlasting life. In actual fact, it's also referred to as eternal life. Let's have a look at that in 1 John 5 verse 13. This is another way to describe that new life that we receive in Jesus. It is eternal life. Watch this. It says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Watch this. That you may know that you have eternal life. Now here is John writing to believers. And of course this is also for us here. And he says, Those of you who have received salvation in Jesus, in case you didn't know, I want to make sure that you know this, that you now have eternal life. That's the new life in Jesus. And that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So, right there in those portions we've just, I've just shown you, we've seen that why we need a new life and why it's important to have new life and praise God for the new life. But also we see that that new life is referred to as everlasting life and eternal life. Now, we have to ask the question, why not use the same term? Why use everlasting life sometimes? And why use eternal life sometimes? Is it not the same thing? And most people say it's the same thing and assume it's the same thing. In essence, it is. But there's a reason why it is translated sometimes. Because the, the original language, the two words used for everlasting life and eternal life, <clears throat> the original words are the same. But the translators understood the context and the other words used around it. And they figured out and they knew when it needed to be everlasting life and eternal life. And there's a reason for that. Though it is a minor technicality, it is an important technicality. And here's the reason why. Because we, in this body, are not eternal. So if you have a container that is not eternal, how do you put eternity in it if the container itself is not eternal? There's the, let me, I'm running ahead of myself. Let me explain it. It's all going to make sense. But you've got to listen real close now because this can be a little confusing. But it's important for us to understand because it helps us understand and get a greater revelation of the new life we receive in Jesus and how it was possible and how we can have confidence in it. Okay, so remember I said the original language, the words used for eternal life and everlasting life are the same. And so here's the difference. Now this is where you've got to listen real close, okay? Here's the difference between everlasting life and eternal life. Everlasting means it has a beginning but no end. Okay, that's everlasting. Everlasting starts somewhere, but then it never stops. So it has a beginning, but it has no end. That would be us. When we are born, when we are conceived in actual fact, because that's when our life starts, according to Scripture and God. When we are conceived, our life begins. But, and, but it doesn't have a stop, because at that point we become eternal beings, if you will, because we'll exist forever. No human being stops existing. Either we exist in heaven with God or we exist in the flames of hell, unfortunately, sadly, for some. But 
we just don't stop. We, just, we don't just fade away. But so we start at conception and then we exist forever. That's everlasting. It has a beginning, but it has no end. It's everlasting. Okay. Eternal means it has no beginning and no end. That would be God. God doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end. So this is why he is eternal. And so the life that God has is eternal life, which has no beginning, no end. And here we are who, as beings who have a beginning. How does God put his eternal life into beings who have a beginning? Because they're not like him quite yet. They don't, they, they, we have a beginning, right? So how does he put his life, which has no beginning, no end, into something that has a beginning? Well, the way he does is he gives them eternal life. Because eternal life has a beginning, but no end. Does that make sense? I trust that that makes sense. It's an important aspect to understand. This is why sometimes in Scripture, you will see the word used everlasting. Immediately, you need to realize, okay, the reason why it says everlasting is because at some point, it didn't have eternal life, but it was given eternal life. And so at that point, from that point onward, it now, it now has become eternal. It's received everlasting life. Amen. So we can say that when we receive salvation in Jesus, everlasting life begins. Because remember, everlasting has a beginning. So everlasting life begins, which is essentially eternal life. Because now we are going to exist forever. And so we have eternal life in Jesus. Amen. All right. So I trust that that made sense. Um, to everyone here, because that's an important aspect about the difference between everlasting and eternal. Let me show you some examples here just to help us clarify that and, and kind of see that picture in Scripture. Matthew 25, verse 46. This is now talking <clears throat> about those who reject salvation in Jesus. So they are going to go into the flames of hell. Watch what Jesus says here. He says, and these, referring to those who reject salvation in Jesus, and these will go away, watch us now, into everlasting punishment. The reason why it uses everlasting, because remember, everlasting has a beginning, but then it goes on for eternal, for eternity, right? Remember, these people were not in hell to start off with. So at some point, their torment, their punishment in hell begins, and that's why it is everlasting punishment. In other words, it's going to start when they leave this body, and then it's going to go on forever. See that now? You see the difference? But the righteous, watch what it says, into eternal life. Why? Because we already received everlasting life here on earth when we received salvation in Jesus. So it began for us there, but then, in essence, it is eternal life. Therefore, when we die and leave this body, we stepped right into eternal life, which we already had. Amen. So you can see now, it makes better sense. It's pretty powerful. I trust that it does. I trust that you've seen this. And then in John 3, verse 15 and 16, watch this again now. It says that whoever believes in him, that's Jesus, should not perish, watch this, but have eternal life. In other words, those who receive salvation in Jesus and keep their trust and confidence in him, they have eternal life. 
But remember, they received it the first time as everlasting life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him, watch this, should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see how the gear changes then. It says, well, those who do receive salvation in Jesus, it begins with everlasting life. And as they continue, it remains eternal life. Because everlasting life, in essence, is the beginning of eternal life. Amen. Praise God. A technicality, but something worth knowing and understanding. Because in actual fact, at some point, I'm sure that someone is going to ask you the question, what's the difference? Why eternal life and everlasting life? And have you looked in the Greek? It's the same words. Why is that? Well, you've got to understand the context and how everything was said you know, in the original. That's why it's like that. So eternal starts as everlasting, but it is eternal. Amen. Okay, so now that we understand that and we've clarified those points, what etern- let's have a look and see what eternal life actually is. This eternal life that we receive, which starts as everlasting life, but this eternal life, this new life that we receive, what is it exactly? What does it look like? How does God define it for us? I mean, it's wonderful to know, okay, I receive everlasting life when I receive salvation in Jesus, which is eternal life. And now I have eternal life. And when I leave this body, I'm going to step into that eternal life continued. And so, but what does it look like now? What does it look like here on earth in practicality? Remember, I gave you my definition in the beginning, which I said to you, new life in Jesus is in essence, us living the life that God intended for us before the fall without sin and imperfect fellowship in perfect relationship with him right well that's what in essence what it is but let me show you the scripture here that shows us that and proves that to us so john 17 verse 2 and 3 watch us now this is jesus speaking to god about himself so watch what he says here as you that's god the father have given him that's jesus the son authority over all flesh this is jesus speaking here by the way that he, watch this, should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. So Jesus gives us eternal life. It's a gift. It's not something you have to work for, earn or deserve. It's something that is given to you when you receive salvation in Jesus. Then it says, and here's the definition of this new life, this eternal life, this everlasting life. Here's the definition of it, okay? And this is eternal life. So Jesus himself is going to give us the definition. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Wow. Praise God for that. Praise God that Jesus himself gave us the definition of eternal life, of this new life that we receive in him. This everlasting life. And what is that definition? that they may know you, Father, and that they may know me, the Son, in essence, said Jesus. So what is he saying? He's saying, okay, we've dealt with the sin issue. I've dealt with the sin issue. So, and the life that they had in Adam is gone. The identity they had in Adam is gone. We've given them new identity. And now this new life that they have, what does it look like? What is it? It is so that they can enjoy and have perfect, undisturbed, relationship with you that's in essence what he's saying there but notice he says and he uses the word that they may know you now that word 
know is a very interesting word and it's key to understanding this new life. And so let's have a look at it. I'm going to show you the definition of that word know. Let's go back to that scripture. No, notice there, I've got it in a slightly different color. I don't know if you can see it. He says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you and me, in essence, what he's saying. That word know, I want to show you from the original what it means and how it's defined. It's pretty powerful. So here it is here from the Helps Word Studies lexicon. Watch the definition here. It's the word know, there's the uh, Greek number, and it's the word hinosko, right? And here are the definitions. Watch this. To know, especially through personal experience, first-hand acquaintance. So it's more than just knowing about someone. It's more than just knowing about God. Or it's more than just believing that God exists. This is actually having personal experience with Him and knowing Him firsthand, right? Then it says, experientially know. In other words, by experience, watch this, is used, for example, in Luke 1 verse 34, where it says, And Mary, a virgin, said to the angel, How will this be, since I do not ginosko a man? In other words, what she was saying is, I haven't had any sexual relations with anyone. So how am I going to be pregnant? This is when the angel announced her that she would carry the Son of God. And of course, she conceived you know, by the Holy Spirit. But notice she used, the word she used there was hinosko. And then again, you know, when we go to Genesis chapter 14, I think it is, um, or chapter 4, where it talks about, you know, and Adam knew his wife and they had a son. Well, you know, <laughs> I don't want to explain it here because I know there's some kids watching. But the point is, is that this know is more than just knowing about. I mean, some people watch us. You know, they watch us on our YouTube channel. They listen to us. They're familiar with my stories. They probably can tell me when they see me personally, if ever they do, they'll, they'll know a lot about me. But they don't really know me as a person until they spend time with me and, you know, live with me and stay with me and hang around me. They won't really know me. So they know about me, but they don't know me. And that's what this is saying. It's more than just knowing about God. It is actually knowing God. It is having a personal experience, a personal relationship with Him. And so when Jesus said, this is eternal life, and gave us a, gave us a definition, what, it, what He was saying is, is that so that they can have perfect, undisturbed relationship with you, which was the original plan before the fall. And so that's the new life that we receive in Jesus. We receive the wonderful privilege, the wonderful blessing, the wonderful gift, the wonderful honor to be restored into a perfect relationship with God. And this relationship doesn't have to do with your merit, with your performance or anything like that. Just like salvation. You, can't, you didn't earn it, you can't deserve it. Well, in the same way, this new life is something you receive when you receive salvation. So you receive restoration of perfect fellowship with God, not on the basis of your merit or your performance. And I know I'm about to trade on some very mainstream <laughs> teaching that many believers live by as far as relationship with God. But give me a chance. Just keep listening, okay? So in essence, what Jesus was saying here is that so that we can have an intimate experience with God to know Him. So eternal life is about experiencing an intimate, personal relationship with God. And 
we are given this in Jesus. Praise God for that. That same verse, verse 3, that we read where Jesus defined uh, eternal life, let's read it from the voice translation. Watch how it puts it, because it actually helps us understand it clearer from the original. Watch what it says. And all, remember, this is all Jesus speaking and giving us the definition of eternal life. And all who receive me, watch us, will experience. He didn't say might experience. And I've looked at the original as well in the Greek. He doesn't give any idea that it could happen. He, the, the point, his statement says it will happen. He says, all who receive me will experience everlasting life. Because it's part of the finished work. It's part of the package that we receive, if you will. Then he defines it and he says, a new intimate relationship with you, the one true God, and Jesus, the anointed, the one you have sent. So in essence, right there, it shows us that this new life that we receive, which is eternal life, and it begins for us as everlasting life, that new life basically is an intimate relationship with God. In other words, we are put back into the situation we were in before the fall, we would have been in before the fall, which is in perfect relationship with God, with the sin issue dealt without sin, in other words. In other words, that's the way God sees us. Now notice here, he says this is a certainty that they receive. So a relationship with God is not something that you create, that you help create, that you facilitate for God, that you don't do anything. <laughs> you don't do anything to make it happen. You don't do anything to cause it to happen, as mainstream teaching tells, right? Because, you know, mainstream teaching, legalistic teaching specifically, says, well, you know what, now you've received salvation in Jesus, now you need to build your relationship with God. Now you need to start having a relationship with God. And as sweet as that sounds and I understand the meaning behind it, it's actually scripturally, biblically incorrect. Because what you are saying to someone is you did not receive new life. Now you've got to make new life happen. You've got to build a relationship with God. You see what I'm saying here? And yet Jesus said, when you receive salvation in Jesus, you receive eternal life, everlasting life, new life. In other words, you are restored in your relationship with God. Amen. Praise God for that. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. <clears throat> From the Passion Translation. It says, even though you were, notice past tense, once distant from him. So that's before you receive salvation in Jesus. Living in the shadows of your evil thoughts and actions. Watch us. Talking about Jesus now. He reconnected you back to himself. That's new life, eternal life, everlasting life. He released his supernatural peace to you through the sacrifice of his own body as the sin payment on your behalf. Watch us now. So that you would dwell in his presence. And now there is nothing between you and Father God. For he sees you as holy, flawless, and restored. Praise God. You know, I looked at the original. I looked at the King James and the Young's literal. And this is so accurate from the original. Looking at every single word and how it can be translated. It is just absolutely awesome. And right there, he tells us, Paul writing to the Colossians, inspired by the Lord. And he says, you know, there was a time when you didn't have new life. 
In other words, you did not have a connection with God, an intimate relationship with God. You couldn't be in His presence. But yet Jesus, through the finished work of the cross, took care of, the, of it all so that you can be reconnected to Him, so that you can be in His presence. And now, He says, now, believers, He says, there is nothing between you and Father God. Now, when Paul wrote this to the Colossians, I can guarantee you he didn't know every single person personally and intimately in those churches. So for him to say, now you are all, and I'm sure there were some who were still learning, who were misbehaving, making mistakes. There were all rangers there. But yet Paul says, if you receive salvation in Jesus, you have nothing between you and the Father. You have been restored. And the reason for that is, is because when we receive salvation in Jesus, we receive this new life, which is, it starts off as everlasting life, but it is eternal life. And what that basically means is that we may know, we may have an, that we, we can have, we know that we have this intimate personal relationship with God. We have been restored. So you start off that way and you continue that way. That's why it is called eternal life. Nothing can take that away. The only thing that will interfere with that is legalistic teaching, you know, trying to bring law with grace or bringing in merit and performance and trying to tell you, see, you've lost your fellowship with God. See, I think you've just lost touch. I don't think, you, you know, just because you stay away, it doesn't mean that God walks away from you. Amen. It is our perception, but from God's perspective, we have been restored to Him. That's eternal life. That's new life in Jesus. Aren't you glad about that? How often do we, you know, when we have our quiet time, if you have it in the morning, if you have it in the evening, I don't know when you have it, but I, I have mine in the morning. But when you have your quiet time, you know, there was times when all I had was legalistic teaching, mixture of law and grace. And I would evaluate me coming before God on the basis of my merit, my performance. So, you know, the day before I wasn't so good and I hadn't read all my chapters and I hadn't prayed like I should. And maybe, you know, I had a, a few shuffles with some folks. Then that morning I would come and I would spend probably most of the time confessing sin. And then a, a little bit of the time with my tail down, trying to enjoy some relationship with God. And, you know, religiously speaking, legalistically speaking, that's in essence what it promotes. But the gospel truth says this is that you have received new life. Therefore, you have been placed in your relationship with God, your fellowship with God, the way it was before the fall. It's like that constant. It's there all the time. That's why the name is eternal life. And so, you know, regardless of how you feel, you don't feel, you need to understand. I am as close to my Father as I will ever need to be because of Jesus, and there is nothing between me and God. Now, are there some things you need to deal with and God needs to help you with? Sure, but that's why you have that fellowship with Him, that new life. Amen? So because of redemption in Jesus, we get to have an intimate relationship with God 24-7, and it is called eternal because it, that's the way it's going to be forever and ever, and that is new life in Jesus. Amen? Now, let's have a look at John 4, verse 13 and 14. Watch us. We're going to take this truth a little bit further here now. Now, this is Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. Remember that he was traveling with his disciples through Samaria. Samaritans are half-breeds. They were known as half-breeds, half-Jew, half-Gentile. And so, Jesus sits on the well, and his disciples go and get food. 
And this woman in the middle of the day comes along to get some water. And this is the encounter between him and her. So watch this now, John 4, <laughs> 13. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give, watch this, give, him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become, watch this, this is so rich and so powerful. I mean, I could preach a six-part session just on this. That I shall give him will become, watch this, in him, and you know that's in her as well, a fountain of water springing up, watch this, into everlasting life. Let's read that again without my interference here. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. All right, so what is Jesus saying there? He's using the illustration of the well where she drew water from, where the people drew water from. So, you know, in our modern day today, he'll probably go and sit by the sink, you know, in the kitchen. And as the water runs, he would do the same thing. So don't focus on the well and make the well the issue. It's the illustration to make the greater point. And he says, anyone who drinks from this natural well again, or you could say from this faucet, will thirst again. He says, but the water that I give, and you could replace water here with new life or eternal life, because that's what he ends up referring it to, it to as. He says, but the eternal life, the new life that I give to him or her, will become in him or her a fountain that springs up into everlasting life. In other words, here's what Jesus is saying. Please listen to this real carefully. Within each of us is an abundant, endless supply of eternal life. That's what he's saying. Which we can drink from any time we want. Isn't that powerful? I mean, that's the truth that he's conveying. What he is saying, with each, every one of you who receive salvation in Jesus is an abundant, endless supply of eternal life because that's the life that he gives you and me. And he says, you can drink from it anytime you want. Let me paraphrase it in the context of everything we've seen so far. Those who receive salvation in Jesus have restored relationship with God undisturbed, unconditional, and they can drink from, they can fellowship with God and enjoy it any time they want, he says. And if they do that, he says, they will never thirst again. Whereas if they approach it based on their merit and their performance, you know, drawing it out of the well, finding the well, and all this, he says they will thirst again. But if they have revelation that they have everlasting, that they have eternal, that they have new life in Jesus, they will never thirst again. You see, the devil is so good at making us feel guilt, shame, and condemnation when he tells us that we didn't measure up. And maybe he's right. But praise God that we say by grace, not by law, not by our merit or performance. And this is why Jesus said, there is an endless abundant supply in each of you because it's that new life, that restored relationship with God. And you, uh, you don't have to thirst again. 
In other words, at your worst, you can come before the Father. At your best, you can come before the Father. And if you don't know where you are, you can come before the Father and you will always be quenched. You will always enjoy and benefit that eternal life, having confidence in it because of His grace, not because of our merit or performance. Amen. Praise God for that. In essence, he's talking about by actively and confidently fellowshipping with God. That's what he's saying here. And notice that it says too that it will nurture us, it will refresh us, and it will keep us satisfied. This is this new life that we have in Jesus. It is that restored fellowship relationship outside of our marital performance. This is why it will always nurture us. It will always refresh us and keep us satisfied. And haven't you found that to be the case? Regardless of how your days go, you know, if you just come frankly, without any pride, just total humility, knowing that it's by grace, not by law, by your marital performance, and you just begin to fellowship with God, don't you always feel His presence, His refreshing? And don't you walk away satisfied? You see, the legalist and the unsaved call that, oh, that's just your crutch. It's just... You know, psychology, mentality. <laughs> no, it's gospel truth. It's reality. Because that's the new life we have. Now, if I was the enemy, if I was the devil, I would make, I would bring in doctrines and all kinds of things, guilt, shame, and condemnation, so that believers don't realize that they have the confidence. That's why Jesus said that they may know you. In other words, don't let something get in the way. It has been restored. Amen. The kind of things that mainstream teaching will tell you will be other to what we've seen so far. What kind of things will you hear? Well, it will tell you that your well can dry up. <laughs> and if that's the case, then we didn't get it eternally, which it wouldn't be the case, right? But that's what mainstream teaching, legalistic teaching, mixture of law and grace will tell you. It will tell you that your well can dry up. In other words, eternal life in you, your relationship with God, it can dry up. It will tell you that you don't have enough water in your well. <laughs> it will tell you that you can even lose your well. Isn't that so? It will tell you that you also need to go and draw from someone else's well in order to be fully satisfied and refreshed. See that evangelist? And I, I don't have anything against this. I think there's a place for that. But if the whole goal is to go and restore relationship with God somehow, we're missing it. But, you know, you'll hear things like, well, the latest evangelist is in town. There's a big crusade. There's going to be major refreshing. Go there. Yeah, we want to go. Yes, we want to enjoy it. But if the whole goal is because, you know, we need someone else, we need to drink from someone else as well. I mean, you tell me how you feel about that. You know, it would be like Helena, and she's a great cook, by the way. She makes, Gabby and I are so blessed. And I'm sure that many of you moms and dads are. But... You know, if she were to make the most delicious meal, that we, our favorite, if you will, for us, and she says, guys, dinner's ready, come and eat, and we both walk out and say, oh, um, sorry, mom, but we're going to go to uh, a burger joint. I don't want to mention names because I don't want to offend anyone. We're going to go to the nearest burger joint, and we're going to have a burger instead. I mean, how do you think she will feel, and how do you think she'll take that? And, and can you blame her for taking it in an offensive way? I know she'll forgive us and all that, but see, this is the thing. When we don't have revelation that we have this new life, this eternal life, this restored relationship with God, and now all of a sudden we are being told, hold on, someone else's well is fuller. You need to go and drink from there. Well, guess what you're going to get? 
<laughs> I mean, how does that look? How does that make you feel if you were the one, you know, if you were God and you had given someone this? Well, where Jesus said, it is a, there's an abundant supply, there's an endless supply, it's given to them by grace for free. All they need to do is just drink from it and they'll never thirst again. But yet that's what legalistic mainstream teaching will tell you. It'll tell you your well can dry up. You don't have enough water in your well. You can lose your well or you've lost your well. It'll tell you, oh, you need to go and drink from someone else's well. Well, see, all those things affect our revelation and our understanding and our living in the new life that we have in Jesus. What Jesus says, everything that mainstream legalistic teaching will tell you, he goes against all of that and he says, no, you have your own supply and it is more than enough. That's what he said. Amen. So your restored relationship with God, your personal intimate relationship with God is not on the basis of you doing or not doing. It is on the basis of his gift that he's given to you. You have eternal life. It began as everlasting life. You have new life in Jesus. So enjoy it anytime, no matter how you feel, no matter how things are going, it is there. Go drink from your own well. It is more than enough. It's your own supply. It's abundant. We don't need anyone else's. Now, is it nice to hear from someone else as well? Sure. Will it you know, help us and, and all that? Sure. Motivate us, encourage us. But at the end of the day, <laughs> we have our own supply. Amen. Praise God. And so we need to believe gospel truth and have the confidence that we have all the new life we will ever need in Jesus. Amen. I mean, if anything, we just need to make sure that we're always drawing from our own well. We're drinking from that well. In other words, we're fellowshipping intentionally with God. We are talking to Him. And I don't mean specifically, you know, in the morning, the whole day through. Because that new life is in you all the time. Praise God. All right, let's go to John 5, 26. It says, For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son <clears throat> to have life in Himself. Talking about Jesus incarnate. Jesus is a human being. Now, when we look at this portion, if you look at the original very few translations actually do what the original says, justice. And so here we see that it says, as the Father has life in Himself, He has granted Jesus the Son to have life in Himself also. Look at how the Amplified puts it. It's going to help us understand a bit clearer. It says, for just as the Father has life in Himself, and is self-existent. See, that's important. Even so, he has given to the Son to have life in himself and be self-existent. So notice, this takes it a bit further from the original and it helps us understand that the life God has <clears throat> is self-existent life. And he's given that same life to Jesus. Amen. All right, so <clears throat> now the Passion Translation actually takes it a little further and helps us understand that even clearer, which really brings us home. Watch us now from the Passion Translation, the same verse. For the Father has given the Son the power to impart life, even as the Father imparts life. 
Now that, in my opinion, and I've looked at the original, is more accurate than any other, most other translations. It says that the Father has given the Son the power to impart life, and even as the Father imparts life. God exists out of the life that He has. That's what it means to be self-existent, right? So He exists out of the life that He has, and so does Jesus. And also, so should we, because God imparts that life to Jesus the Son, and Jesus the Son imparts that life to us, that new life, that eternal life, right? John 10, 28 makes this clear from the Passion Translation. Jesus says here, I give to them the gift of eternal life. There it is there. And what life does he have? Self-existent life, right? And they will never be lost, and no one has the power to snatch them out of my hands. Now, understanding everything we've discussed here today, what that shows us as saying is that Jesus gives us this new life, which is eternal life, which is relationship, restored relationship with God. And he says, because of that, they will never be lost and no one will ever take them away from me. <clears throat> Why? Because it is not on the basis of our merit, our performance, or someone else's doing. It is on the basis of what he has done for us to get it. And we have it forever. We have it always. Amen. So those who receive salvation in Jesus have the life of God in them. You've got the life of God, that self-existent life. That's why it's abundant. It's your own supply that will always quench your thirst and satisfy you. Amen. Which is your new life. And because of it, you can experience and enjoy intimate and close relationship with God without worry and without concern. Amen. Look at 1 John 5 verse 11 and we'll end with this one. From the Passion Translation. This is the true testimony. In other words, you can count on this testimony, this witness. This is the true testimony that God has, notice past tense, given us eternal life. Now you know what that looks like and what it is. And this life has its source in His Son. Please look at that real carefully. He says, this is gospel truth. That God has given this to us, which is eternal life, which is a restored relationship with God, which is an undisturbed, perfect relationship with God. And he says, and that, the source of that is Jesus. Not you, not your merit, not your performance, not a pastor who tells you otherwise, not legalistic teaching or mainstream teaching that tells you otherwise. The source of that life is Jesus. Praise God. Amen. So you can have confidence, no matter what you go through in life, how things are, how you may be feeling, whatever's going on, downs or lows, you know, highs and lows. At the end of the day, you have this continual supply. You have this life, and Jesus is the source of it. Jesus is the one who got it for you and gave it to you. And because of it, you can exist out of that life, no matter what you face in life. And He's given it to us now so that we can live and enjoy it now and not wait for it sometime. Yes, we'll step into it in eternity and it'll be absolutely perfect then without this body, but it is still there the same available to us today. Amen. So Jesus is the source of your new life, of your relationship with God in essence, not your merit, not your performance. This is why we can have absolute confidence in our new life in Jesus. 
We trust that you are blessed by this message. For more information about our ministry or to make a donation to help us continue spreading the gospel, please visit our website at redemptioninjesus.com.